Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Oh, yes! And the Ice Bears win 3-2 in overtime! Welcome in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. I'm Joel Silverberg. Whether you are listening to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Appreciate everybody who has taken the time to... Check out the podcast, subscribe, listen. We have seen a serious increase in listenership this season, and so we really appreciate that. I know that we've had listeners from other teams outside of Knoxville and really appreciate that as well. Um, Typically, try to give a look around the league. On this episode, we're pretty much just going to talk about what happened on Sunday because I think we can all agree that's pretty much the only thing that's on anybody's mind right now so Sunday night Knoxville and Roanoke that was the only game in action and before we get into all the disciplinary detail um, do want to kind of point out a couple of things from the game on Sunday night Uh, from a hockey standpoint uh, Brody Clays had a really solid night in net Um, you know 29 to 30 saves uh, coming off a a night against Huntsville where his team lost by one he gave up four goals on 18 shots and, you know, obviously just not his cleanest game for him to have that bounce back night. And, and while obviously Knoxville struggled this weekend offensively, just four goals in three games, Knoxville had some really good quality chances in the first two periods against Roanoke. Um, and I thought Clay's made some really good saves. And then uh, congratulations in order to Matt O'Day. Um, obviously, he was named the player of the week in the SPHL, but also he hit the 100 point mark in his career in the SPHL as well. He had another multi-point night. So he, uh, we don't really see defensemen honored very often as the SPHL player of the week. So it was good to see O'Day achieve that. Now, I know he played a little bit of forward on Sunday due to the injury to CJ Stubbs. uh, But after Steven Alva was ejected from the game, he did kind of rotate back on the blue line a little bit, but he's been one of the better defensemen in the league um, really for the last three seasons. Um, is is a good goal scoring defenseman, um, especially by SPHL standards. Uh, so um, just a congratulations to him because I, I think he's only the 26th or 27th defenseman to reach that milestone. I know Zach Wilkie is close if he hasn't reached it already, and I believe Derek Pearl from Huntsville um, is in the mix there as well. But uh, you know, obviously, always cool. And I, and I don't always you know give shout outs when guys hit the century mark. I just happened to notice it with his stat sheet the other night. So um, and man, what a cannon of a slap shot that was uh, on that goal from the left circle so um, you know came up on the rush you know got got some help along the wing and had some space in the left circle and just absolutely blasted one by Christian Stead so um, yeah so just you know congratulations to Matt O'Day I just don't obviously the conversation is going to largely be about what transpired towards the latter stages of the third period I just don't want that to overshadow what a couple of players in the league were able to accomplish Um, and so you know uh and also, I don't want it to take. I don't want this conversation to appear that what took place in the third period, really throughout the course of the game on Sunday, ultimately dictated the outcome of the game. So, um, you know, I thought I thought Clay's had a really good night in net. Obviously, O'Day had a two point night that really helped his team win. Nick Ford had a really good game as well. Um, Knoxville moved or Roanoke moved the puck really well in the offensive zone, um, which is something that they've done all year. So, it's a big reason why they've won eight of their last ten and why they're in fourth place right now. So the SPHL, after 
three days, finally made an announcement on the suspensions stemming from Sunday's game between Knoxville and Roanoke. So uh, for the rail yard dog, Sean Leonard was given three games uh, really for um, stuff that was pretty black and white. Um, for the most part, he was given two games because he incurred his third game misconduct of the season, which he was given during the third period for being the third man in on a fight. Um, and then was given an additional game for an unpenalized slashing incident in that same fight. So when Justin Portillo went after Dominic's Marcin Kavix, Leonard uh, started to go after Portillo, slashed him, and then jumped on top of him. So kind of back-to-back penalties there for Leonard. So he's going to miss um, he's going to miss three games in total. Um, that's not really there, there's not a whole lot of subjective reasoning there from the league office. That's pretty cut and dry. Uh, Cole McKechnie has been given seven games uh, for cross-checking Marcin Kavix. Uh, I did not see the hit. It happened away from the puck. None of our broadcast cameras at the Civic Coliseum got footage of the hit, um, but I was told by members of both Knoxville and Roanoke staff that you know it appeared that Cole cross-checked Marcin Kavix in the face and that Marcin Kavix had multiple teeth missing. Um, and Cole does not have a history as a... A uh, dirty hockey player. He doesn't have a history of suspensions in his career, uh, so he's a first-time offender. Uh, but you know, he was given a match penalty. It's you know for cross-checking due to what referee Keith Grooms believed to be the severity of the hit. Um, and so, you know, based on that, it, it's again, it's a pretty open and shut case. He's given seven games. A lot of us within the organization thought it was going to be six to eight. Um, so I, I don't think there's really any surprises there um and then justin portillo given 16 games uh three games for leaving the bench uh for the altercation with marcin kavix um five games for getting his third and fourth game misconducts of the season one being for leaving the bench the other uh for being the aggressor in his fight so he was given two game misconducts in the same sequence um and then eight games for his, for a result of his actions in the game. Um, so kind of kind of interesting. Um, he was officially assessed a minor penalty for instigating a major penalty for fighting and game misconduct for leaving the players bench. Um, so here's the thing with the leaving the players bench rule. So the, the rule is interpreted as a, a player shall be given, you know, shall be penalized to in, when he leaves the bench in order to enter an altercation or with the intention to begin one. And while I understand that the league can make an argument for the latter when it comes to Portillo and Marcin Kavix, Portillo came onto the ice after a goal, made a change with the other winger that was on that side of the circle, lined up next to Marcin Kavix, the puck was dropped and play resumed before the altercation began. And from what I have been told by the ice bears is that the league office does not see it that way. So that, you know, they see it as that he left the bench and that the altercation was premeditated. And so that's when things become a little bit more subjective. Um, and so not just by the league office, but also by referee Keith grooms. And I, I guess where I have an issue with it is, okay, you want to throw him a major for fighting. You want to give him instigation. Fine. You want to, have him be the aggressor okay but it it really feels like they are really folding a lot on the leaving the players bench 
And the thing is, is that Portillo has been suspended for leaving the players bench before. But when it happened last year, and again, this was disputed by the Ice Bears, but when it happened last year against Roanoke, it play did not begin when the fight between Justin Portillo and Spencer Kennedy ensued. Portillo came off the bench, went onto the ice. Evan Reddick did not prevent Portillo from coming onto the ice, who was the referee for that game. Uh, they immediately started going at it. Portillo and Kennedy did, and they fought. And then Portillo was slapped with a three-game suspension after a, a back-and-forth review. And a very confusing day for Knoxville. And then obviously what happened the following night was the bench brawl. So I, you know, so the difference is, is that play actually resumed. Keith Grooms allowed his linesman to drop the puck, which means he blew the whistle permitting play to start. And then after the fact decides to slap Portillo with a game misconduct for leaving the player's bench, which is an automatic three game suspension. The thing is, is that because Portillo was given a game misconduct earlier in the season, he's, now incurring his third, his fourth game misconducts because Grooms decides to tack on two with him. And then you have the big gray area, which is supplemental discipline, where the league office decides we're going to add eight games as a result of his actions in this game. And if, if the thing is, if the league office can just decide to do something where the area is that gray, don't get into all the, the technical stuff of, oh, well, he left the player's bench. No, he didn't. If, if he left the player's bench, why was Keith Grooms permitting his linesman to drop the puck? Why was Portillo allowed to come onto the ice? And I, I understand the idea of being weary of a player who has multiple offenses over the course of a season or over the course of two seasons. This was Portillo's only penalty detail of the game. It's not like Portillo had been you know, fighting other players. It's not like he had already been called for a roughing or a cross-checking. He had been off the penalty detail until this moment. And other players had things escalate before this point in time. And so I understand a lot of it is because he's a repeat offender. I'm not arguing that, you know, he should only be given three games total because I, I understand how the rule works with repeat offenses and stuff like that. But it really feels like both referee Keith Grooms and the league office are trying to really push the leaving players bench side of this just so they can slap a guy with more games. And here's the thing. If the league office is just going to come up with an arbitrary number for supplemental discipline, just slap the guy with 16 games and just call it what it is. Just just give him the 16. But don't don't try to make it look better as if Portillo is, you know, being charged with more than what he actually did. And and that's my kind of thing. So, and, and here's the thing, going with the Cole McKechnie penalty, that's obviously the play that happened about eight minutes after the Portillo fight that really pushed things over the edge. Obviously, the Portillo fight with Marcin Kavix, that got Dan Bremner, Roanoke's head coach, on the bench wall. That led to a fight between Troy Murray and Sean Leonard. So, you know, I get all that. There's a lot of stuff happening there. Sean Leonard had Portillo's helmet in his hand, he threw it from his own bench over the glass partition. It hit Ice Bears general manager Mike Murray. There's no suspension for Sean Leonard coming from that. It's specifically the slash and the fact that he got a game misconduct, which was done because he was the third man in. There's nothing about him throwing equipment, which is a penalty, at the opposing team's bench and striking the team's GM. There, there's nothing about that. And so the... To me, looking at the Portillo situation, it's a lack of consistency when you see, yes, I get it. Like he he's a repeat offender. And that's 
And, you know, the league office is essentially using his reputation and his history against him. However, I don't think in this particular situation it's being administered in the right way. And at the same time, it doesn't matter because the league could just come right back and say, okay, we'll take away his, you know, game misconduct for leaving the bench, but we're going to implement more supplementary discipline and just supplemental discipline and just give him X number of games. And so that that's the thing with an independent pro hockey league where you don't have this, you know, there's not really accountability for administration or officiating. And so you kind of, you know, so you kind of look at that situation. And it is kind of what it is. And so now Portillo is going to miss more than half of Knoxville's remaining games. And with the Cole McKechnie penalty, the suspension, obviously I get it. Um, it's look, if, if that is truly what happened, which based on what I'm hearing from both sides of it, it pretty much is. Okay, you can't really argue with a seven-game suspension. You know, Cole committed the penalty. He was given the penalty. He's being given the suspension. End of story. He can't come back until February. But I want to make this abundantly clear. Do I think that officiating caused Knoxville to lose the game on Sunday? No. Do I feel like Keith Grooms did a good job at controlling the game on Sunday? No. Do I think... Keith Grooms is the reason that Cole McKechnie committed the penalty and got suspended. No. So let's make that absolutely clear. It, it's ultimately an isolated incident. I didn't see anything that Marcin Kavix did. And here's the thing. Marcin Kavix does have a tendency to get under the skin of opponents. But he's also a really good hockey player. And so, and, and Marcin Kavix has a bit of a disciplinary history too. I mean, he was suspended two games last season for his role in the bench brawl. He was on his own bench throwing punches at players who were on the ice. I mean, so he was fighting off the playing surface and was given two games as a result of his actions in that. So it, it's not like Marcin Kavix has never received any discipline from the league. But that night, he, as in Sunday night, he did attempt and appeared to succeed in butt-ending Kirill Nishnikov in the second period. Nishnikov is obviously frustrated. He loses his temper. He goes after Marcin Kavix, who then turtles. Now, I understand the difference. Like, you jump a guy off the bench or, you know, jump a guy off a face-off. I, I get it. Guys are going to be frustrated. But if you start something like that and you try to bun at a guy and he goes after you and you turtle, that's kind of on you. And so Nishnikov goes after Marcin Kavix. Marcin Kavix was not... Originally, Marcin Kavix was taken to the penalty box. And then after a brief discussion, was removed from the penalty box. So he was never penalized for the butt end. And he, according to video evidence, he does make contact with Nishnikov's head. And there's a serious height differential there. I mean, I mean, Nishnikov is taller than I am. And Marcin Kavix is not. <laughs> so um, there's a height differential there. So for Marcin Kavix to butt end Nishnikov in his helmet, you look at the video, his elbow's above his head. And there's no reason that his elbow needs to be that high right off a faceoff. And I know there's a little bit of stick fighting between the two right before that, but they lined up on opposite end of the hashes. When the puck is dropped, they're not touching each other. And then Marcin Kavix jumps in front of Nishnikov and tries to blindly butt end him and makes contact with his helmet. Now the and Keith Grooms doesn't see it. Look, and you can only do so much when a referee doesn't see a penalty, when a referee doesn't see something, especially when it's a league that only has one referee. But we see referees and linesmen call penalties all the time based on, honestly, based on results or based on what they believed happened. It happens in this league all the time. And so Keith Grooms 
misses the butt end on Marcin Kavix and then slaps Nishnikov with a game misconduct for being an aggressor because he went after Marcin Kavix. And so in, in Keith Groom's eyes, he just sees, oh, Nishnikov just jumped Marcin Kavix for no reason. That's not what happened. It's not considered jumping a guy if he tries to butt in the opponent first. And so you can look at it and say, well, Marcin Kavix wasn't called for a penalty. That means he didn't do it. That's not how that works. And you know it. Come on. Marcin Kavix tried to butt in Kirill Nishnikov. Nishnikov retaliated. Grooms only saw Nishnikov, slapped Nishnikov with a game misconduct, and Marcin Kavix walked away scot-free. Didn't get penalized in the game, didn't receive a suspension. And typically, when games like this happen, when you have an official that's calling a lot of penalties, and a lot of penalties were called, I'm not just talking about misconducts and fighting majors and stuff like that. A lot of minors were called in this game. A lot of ticky-tack calls were made in this game. And I get it, Keith Grooms, his philosophy is he's going to be by the book, he's going to call it as he sees it. But... There is a difference between calling a lot of penalties and actually controlling a game. There's a huge difference between the two. And I think Keith Grooms on Sunday did one and failed to do the other. Because when you call a lot of penalties, then players expect everything to be called. And so when you spend the first period calling penalties in the beginning of the second period, calling penalties, and then you miss a butt end, a major penalty, a potentially major penalty and you only slap one team with a game misconduct. I know Steven Alvo was also given a game misconduct for fighting after the original altercation. I get all that. But still, for Marcin Kavix to walk away from that, that's typically going to cause teams to go after him. It doesn't justify it. It does not justify it. It doesn't justify what Cole McKechnie did. Look, there are ways that you can send a message to an opponent within the grounds of the game. Hockey's a physical sport. It is legally a physical sport. You can check guys legally. You look at a couple of hits that Seth Enzer has made for Knoxville this year. The, the huge check that he had in the offensive zone against Garrett Milan down in Pensacola. The way he just absolutely railroaded Brian Bowen against Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. Those were unpenalized hits. And you know why they were unpenalized? Because they were clean. And, you know, the home fans in Pensacola, they didn't like to see their captain get blown up with a hit like that. But you know what? It wasn't called a penalty. Why? Because it's a clean hit. There's nothing in the rules about velocity or how far a guy flies when you take him off his skates. If Seth Enzer makes a clean shoulder to chest hit, it's a legal hit. And so... There are ways that you can send messages by making sure, hey, we're going to take the body on you guys. If you're going to get under our skin, we're going to take the body on you. We're going to be more aggressive on the forecheck. We're going to make things more frustrating for you in the neutral zone. There are ways that you can send that message. But cross-checking is a penalty. That's not the way to do it. And so, you know, obviously that, you know, that led to what it did. So once again, Cole McKechnie with Dominic Smarsinkiewicz, that is an isolated incident. That's not on Keith Grooms that it happened. But so again... Same questions. Do I believe that Keith Grooms had control of the game? No. Do I believe that Keith Grooms is at fault for Cole McKechnie committing the penalty and getting suspended? No. That's not fair to Keith Grooms. However, do I believe that there's a less likely chance that Cole McKechnie commits that penalty if Marcin Kavix is penalized for the butt end in the second period? There's nothing definitive or conclusive that you can hang that theory on, but you can definitely make an argument for it. Because that's how games get out of control. And because, think about it, there, there's a huge difference between calling a lot of penalties and actually maintaining control of the game. Look back at the game that Knoxville and Roanoke played on December 26th. 
It was a it was a good game. There weren't a lot of penalties. It was a back and forth game. It was actually really good hockey. Roanoke came out with a good win. Brendan Pepe, if you remember, made that great save with his stick. Uh, Austin Rodebush was caught out of position, had the puck get behind him on the back door. Nishnikov was there to tie the game with less than a minute to go. Brendan Pepe, great diving effort to get his stick on the puck and force it to go wide. It, it's just a great game. That was a great game between two teams that continue to make plays and Roanoke made one right at the end. There were eight combined penalty minutes in that game. But the game was still a little bit chippy. But why? Because things didn't get out of hand. Derek Collins was the referee that night. I know it's listed as Keith Grooms. There was a last minute change. Derek Collins was the referee that night and his linesman did a better job. He made sure that things stayed in check. You don't necessarily have to call penalties to get things in check. When linesmen are faster to get between players to let players know, hey, we're not going to allow the no nonsense stuff. Or when the referee sets a precedent early instead of waiting until the third period to do it, that's how games stay in control. And Keith Grooms does not have a history of doing that. And you, and you look at it, when things go unaccounted for, that's often when things get out of it. I know you can look at, you know, you, you may, if you're not a Knoxville fan, you might look at guys like Justin Portillo and say, well, no, all he, when he just sees red, there's no stopping him. I don't think that's true. And you look at some of the evidence. Last year, Knoxville and Huntsville, Cy Nutkovich cross-checks Colton Fletcher from behind, sends him face first into the wall. Preston Kugler for Knoxville, he stops Sees Fletcher get absolutely pummeled, looks at the ref, there's no penalty, looks back at his own bench, looks at the ref again, and then goes after Cy Nutkovich. Why does Preston Kugler do that? Because even enforcers know that when they're standing up for their teammates, they know, hey, there are certain lines that we won't cross if the referee takes care of it. And so believe it or not, a lot of enforcers in this league or guys that are willing to fight will let the referees do their jobs if they do them. And so Preston Kugler essentially said, okay, ref, if you're not going to penalize him, I'm taking matters into my own hands. Kugler goes after Nutkovich. Nutkovich immediately drops to the ice and curls up in the fetal position. The bench brawl between Knoxville and Roanoke last year. Rexmo ends up on the, on the Roanoke bench. What happened right before that? Spencer Kennedy hits Rexmo late, well after he had cleared the puck out of his own zone, and slew foots him. It's a full three seconds after... Moe doesn't have the puck anymore. Evan Reddick's the referee. Does he call a penalty on Spencer Kennedy? No. Rexmo starts to skate back to his bench. Spencer Kennedy entices him. Rexmo goes onto the bench. And I interviewed Rexmo about that incident. And I asked him point blank if Evan Reddick calls a penalty, even if it's just a minor, if he calls a penalty on Spencer Kennedy, do you end up on the bench? He said, no. If I hear the whistle, I stop. Like these hockey players aren't idiots. They understand the grounds of when a referee blows the whistle. If a penalty is being called, they'll accept that as justice. But when Dominic's Marcin Kavik's butt ends a guy in the head and there's no penalty on him, players get ticked. That causes tempers to boil over. And so, again, it doesn't justify what Cole did to Marcin Kavik's. But an argument could be made that if Keith Grooms had done a better job at keeping the game in check over the course of 60 minutes, maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe Marcin Kavik's doesn't get jumped by Justin Portillo because players look at a situation like that and they look at a referee like Keith Grooms and say, if you're not going to control this game, then we're going to take matters into our own hands. And again, players are responsible for their own actions. Any team will tell you that. League administration will tell you that. The commissioner will tell you that. Players are ultimately responsible for their own actions. But referees need to be held more accountable for 
trying to prevent the things that could potentially happen. And you have to have more foresight to do that. And Keith Grooms clearly did not have any over the course of this game on Sunday night. I've already said it doesn't justify what happened. And, you know, I hate that that happened to Dominic Marcinkiewicz. I cannot imagine how awful it feels to get cross-checked in the face and lose multiple teeth. Like, that sucks, okay? That should not have happened. I said it on the broadcast. That's not the sort of stuff you want to see. Win or lose, that's not a fun game to call. It just isn't. I did not enjoy the last 10 minutes of the third period on Sunday night. Had nothing to do with the score. Had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. I don't enjoy seeing games get that ugly. I did not enjoy calling the bench brawl last year. None of that stuff is fun to me as a broadcaster. I get it. We want to see the fights. We want to see the stuff that's actually meant to be part of the game. Fighting is an acceptable part of the game. But we don't want to see the stuff get out of hand. And so, to me, that's my issue with the entire situation is like, look, and I've already said the league's justified in adding things up the way that it wants to. I understand the reasoning for it, but I don't think it's consistent. Do I think that Knoxville warranted more suspensions than Roanoke over the course of the night? Yeah, probably given the fact that one of its offenders was a repeat offender and the fact that one of the other penalties was pretty severe. But do I think the gap should have been closer between the two teams? Yeah. 23 games to three? It it should have been a lot closer than that. I mean, Owen McDade, after they hit on Marcin Kavix, and I understand McDade's line of reasoning, he just saw one of his teammates get cross-checked in the face and he wants Cole McKechnie to pay the price for it, but McKechnie was on the bench when McDade pulled him off of it and grabbed him and wrestled him down to the ice. So where's the suspension for fighting off the playing surface? It's, it's things like that that don't really add up. So, and, and again, I've tried to be as objective as I can here, but I, I also am an employee of the Knoxville Ice Bears. And so, and I'm not, I don't believe, I, here's the thing. I don't believe it like deep into the idea that the league office is like biased specifically against one team but I do not think there is a representative, a player, or a fan from any team in the SPHL who can say with 100% confidence that the way that the league administers discipline and suspensions is consistent. Last year with the bench brawl, Brent Clark was given a two-game suspension for failing to control his team. Now, that's a very subjective penalty from the league office, but Knoxville had already had multiple players suspended that year. Brent Clark had already been ejected from games that season. And then the bench brawl happens. So I understand the justification. He's given two games as a suspension. However, Dan Bremner, while I get that he is reacting to what happened on the ice, obviously any coach having one of his players get cross-checked right in front of his own bench would make him irate. But Bremner twice on two different incidents stood up on the wall of the bench the first time to yell at the Knoxville bench the second time he pushes in on the glass partition separating the two benches it falls and hits Riley Robertson in the head and then that incites Josh Nenadal and Nick Ford to begin pushing on the partition as well and then the partition comes dislodged and then we've got to have this whole delay to have that thing fixed and after Dan Bremner is ejected he is seen on the jumbotron showing the bird to the crowd. Now, I know I said on the broadcast that he was showing his ring finger, but after a closer look, you can clearly see he's using his right middle finger towards the Ice Bears fans in section M1 and N1 to point to his left ring finger. Don't play dumb. Dan Bremner knew exactly what he was doing. So you've got an obscene gesture. You've got, I mean, I don't even know what you would, I mean, some sort of unsportsmanlike conduct for pushing the partition over and inciting his own team 
to continue to engage in a verbal altercation across the bench and to push on the partition and Bremner gets nothing. Now you can make the argument, well, Andrew Harrison, you know, has failure to control his own team. Failure to control his own team, again, is very subjective. And the thing is, I don't think it's fair to lump Andrew Harrison in the same category as Brent Clark. I know they coached together last year, but when you really look at how this team has tried to play this season compared to last year, all the suspensions that Knoxville had to deal with over the course of the season, at one point being down to 11 skaters because of suspensions, Brent Clark being ejected from multiple games. Andrew Harrison hasn't been ejected from a game this year. Andrew Harrison didn't incite his team to do all of that stuff on the ice. And so the idea that, and if they're just trying to call it a wash, I still disagree with that. You want to give Andrew Harrison a game because of, you know, oh, well, your team did this. We're blaming you for it. Okay, you know, whatever. But look, Bremner was way more involved in this particular altercation than Brent Clark was in the last one. Again, I I think the suspension from Brent Clark last year was warranted, but to lump Andrew Harrison in the same category as Brent Clark is factually inaccurate because the team has been more disciplined this year. And really before this weekend, this sort of stuff had not happened all season. And Knoxville and Roanoke, the first two games they played, there were like 16 total penalty minutes. And I know things are chippy, Hockey's kind of a chippy sport. If you're upset about hockey being chippy, go watch soccer. I, I don't know what else to tell you. But to, to look at what Dan Bremner did and say that he's getting off scot-free despite the obscene gesture, despite standing up on the, on the wall of the bench, despite getting ejected from the game, and to look at him and Andrew Harrison and say, oh, their, their actions were identical is ridiculous. And so for Andrew Harrison... You know, he has tried to make this team play with discipline. He's emphasized discipline. He's trying to get these guys to fight for him because also look at the mess he inherited. His team was 0-6 when he took over as head coach. Andrew Harrison did not begin this season expecting to be a head coach for the first time in his life. So instead, he begins the year as an assistant coach. Three weekends in, he's suddenly the head coach of a team that's 0-6 being outscored 30-7, to seven, giving up five goals a game. They've been blown out in five of their six losses, coming off back-to-back five-to-two losses to Fayetteville. And his previous head coach just traded the rights to one of his best returning players away for eight hotel rooms. So it's not like Andrew Harrison exactly put together this roster. And if you're saying to yourself, well, why hasn't Harrison improved the roster? Well, once you get to November, it's not like good goal scorers are all sitting on the couch playing Xbox, drinking cocoa, going, oh, I hope the Ice Bears call. And when, you, when you're when you put in a hole that badly that Brent Clark put Andrew Harrison and the rest of this team in at the start of the season, you look at the rest of the teams. Look at some of the midseason acquisitions. Whelan Parrish, really good player. Where does he go? Quad City. Brian Bowen, really good player. Where does he go? Birmingham. Teams that were having more success than Knoxville at the time that they returned to the SPHL. And so that's the sort of stuff that happens. Is that now you've got to work really hard. And you know what? Andrew Harrison worked his tail off. He won eight of his first 11 games as the team's head coach. Knoxville was eight and nine at mid-December. One game under 500. That's what Pensacola is right now. Pensacola is one game under 500. They're in sixth place in the league. If Knoxville had just treaded water over the course of this nine-game skid, 
things would look totally different. Be looking totally different right now. And here, and here's the other thing. A lot of the stuff that happened last year, okay, the lack of discipline, the stuff like that, I don't know how much that was really being emphasized under Brent Clark, but personally, what happened this past weekend really looks more like the result of a team that's sick of losing rather than a team that's just undisciplined. There's a huge difference between the two. So to simply assume that Andrew Harrison is a Brent Clark clone just is not fair. It's not fair to the organization. It's not fair to Andrew Harrison. It's not fair to the guys that are playing for him that are really wanting to fight for him. Trust me, I've been in that locker room. I've seen some of the pregame speeches, been in some of the team meetings. I'm not in all of them, but I have seen some of them. Those players really like playing for Andrew Harrison. And I think if other fan bases understood the intricacies of what was happening in that locker room, I think you would find that he's a really easy guy to root for. And it doesn't change the fact that Knoxville's lost nine straight games, and that needs to change. Knoxville has to find a way to win. They've got two big games upcoming against Evansville this weekend. But I think when you see this lack of consistency from officiating, the lack of accountability for referees like Keith Grooms and Evan Reddick who don't control the games and then things break out like this where it could have potentially been prevented, in some cases very likely been prevented, if penalties are just administered the right way and a precedent is sent in the first period instead of the second or the third, that's where things get out of hand. And the league and its officials do not have enough accountability in that area. I appreciate you listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. We've got games Friday and Saturday, puck drop at 735 both nights in Knoxville against Evansville. Big series for Knoxville, trying to catch up to Evansville, Quad, and Pensacola. Those are the three teams directly in front of the Ice Bears. Knoxville just trying to find a way to generate some offense and to get back in the win column and that got a little bit tougher with Brady Florent being called up to Norfolk in the ECHL earlier in the week so we'll see who steps up we'll see if somebody can find a way to help Knoxville turn the ship around um, and obviously Andrew Harrison is going to continue to do everything he can to help this team win games so appreciate you checking out the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast I'm Joel Silverberg well the call for you this weekend Friday Saturday 92.5 WKCE the flagship station of the Knoxville Ice Bears thank you again for tuning in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast